good morning, all you people who like to eat and drink, but also want to be as healthy as possible out there. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig, and we're going to talk around some of that uh, today. We sure are. Yeah, starting out, actually, with um, uh, Richard Blandow, who, um, with his wife, who we didn't actually catch on the interview, um, Kate Jacoby, um, has for a long time run vegetarian, vegan restaurants. Um, the, the one that is most famous is Veg in Philadelphia. But we're going to look at some of the reasons why we have so much coming. I now have a notice from, uh, yeah, we might interview them, a, an actual resort in California that teaches you how to be a vegan. Anyhow, let's listen. We'll talk about this in this interview with um, Richard Landau of Veg in Philadelphia. Okay, I'm just out, but he's uh, from Yorkshire, yeah. Oh, great, cool. My favorite place in the world, England. Really, yeah, but and that also was mixed up with um, um, Australia and a long time in the U.S. So anyhow, okay. let's, let's get this underway here. Sure, um, sure. Richard Landau, we're sorry we can't have your um, wife partner, Kate Jacoby, with us. Um, but I wanted to talk to you because I didn't want to just assume that I was dis- describing a trend, but um, I had been noting, I can tell from the, the, the books that I get, that this new um, popularity of everything vegetable and vegan and vegetarian, um, and also certain restaurants are opening that were um, – Dirt candy was one of them that, that got my attention. But I'll tell you, the, the trend was confirmed when, um, uh, uh, what's his name, Daniel Hume uh, turned uh, uh, Levin Madison Park into a, a vegetarian, almost vegan restaurant. Uh, is this, t- let me just back up a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. You opened um, your first restaurant in um, in t- what 1995 or something? 1994, yeah, 94. long time ago. And, yeah, and but you opened Veg, which is fully veg vegetable forward, and and a large part vegan in 2011. That's right. It's you fully were, vegan. Fully vegan. Fully vegan, okay. Yes. And then Fancy Radish, where does that come in? Uh, that opened in 2018, and it's basically, it's like the, a version of Veg down in D.C. Okay. Well, all right, so uh, you, you were raised as a meat eater. Um, how did you get so advanced, and how did you have faith and trust in your instinct to do this? I mean, it's a hard market the restaurant industry and oh sure yeah i mean that's bold you're very brave well back in 1994 you know we we never even used the word vegan or vegetarian well first of all the word vegan was almost unheard of back then but you know we we did not use the word vegetarian anywhere on the menu because it was a cocktail party joke you know it was basically (laughs) conjured up images of you know, hippies and, you know, naked people running around at Woodstock. You know, it was a joke if you were vegetarian. You know, what do you eat? Bean sprouts and, and all that kind of stuff. So we stayed my, – my goal was to make food that tasted like it was as satisfying as anything that had meat in it. So the first thing I wanted to do was disassociate myself from anything that hinted at vegetarianism, the way the world saw it in the mid-'90s. Now, you know, then enter like – Bill Clinton, who becomes a vegetarian, then enter like this whole new thing that's happening nowadays. You know, a lot of people are looking at me like, "Wow, wait a second, this guy was on to something." So, it's it's been a long ride. It's been it's been an absolute blast watching it from the audience. How this whole thing has evolved since the mid '90s. It's been an absolute blast. I'm bad, um, yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I am correct that that um, even people who are not purely vegetarian seek out. Um, I know they seek out vegetable forward um, restaurants now. Oh um, sure, and, sure, and, and yeah, 
Well, that was my target audience from day one. I, you know, being a vegetarian myself, I recognize there's almost nowhere to eat. So the vegetarians and vegans, they were coming anyway. We had them. Build an audience. Uh, all you had to do was make decent food that tasted good, and they were there. I wanted to reach out to the mainstream. I, I felt that back in the 90s, it was a very kind of, you know, again, it was a very misunderstood um, concept. It came with a lot of preconceived notions. So I wanted to reach the mainstream. Well, how do you reach the mainstream? Number one, don't even tell them it's vegetarian. Just give them good food. You know, and number two, cook food that they can relate to. Don't Don't make a bunch of, you know, grassy, seedy, hippie food, make some really good food that they can understand, <laughs> right? Because the stomach listens. my experience with it. It was hippie food. It was, some of it was really awful. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, my God. Well, that was the other thing. I had tried a few vegetarian restaurants back then. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This, stuff, this is horrible. This isn't even food. This is some kind of weird diet. And, um, and I found that, you know, when you mentioned vegetarianism back then in the 90s, that People automatically assume, like, you know, you're on this weird diet. Yet you're trying, you're on a cleanse or on this spiritual high or you're <laughs> kind of induced some kind of hallucinations, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, you got, you got to kind of trigger those flashbacks. You know, now they call them, now they're senior moments. They used to be flashbacks. Now they're senior moments. <laughs> is, that, is, that what, is that what I should say? Is that what should say I'm having a senior moment? It's really, it's really funny that there's a vegetarian restaurant in Pittsburgh, but it's also Polish. Oh, yeah, Polish vegetarian. Oh, wow, to check that out. Yeah, we have it's friends that really just moved to Pittsburgh, so we'll have to check Who that did? out. Uh, friends of ours just moved out to Pittsburgh, to Mount Washington. Oh, they're in Mount Washington. Great. Great views. Wonderful. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, this place um it has an unfortunate name i really okay. i wish i wish that that listened to me <laughs> would you want to go to a, a restaurant called bitter ends <laughs> oh no really <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, right. well hey listen if the food's great then who cares right <laughs> oh no it wasn't bitter ends i'm sorry you're talking about the, uh, the other one yeah i've taken Apteca. Uh, Apteca. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, yeah. I've heard worse. Bitter, bitter Ends <laughs> is the one whose name calls me, but um, they have a form. But anyhow, no, you're right. It's Apteca, and um, it, it, the food's on a level that um, uh, they've been nominated for Beard Awards. And so oh, that's all that matters, you know. You, you, you can name it anything you want as long as the food's good. That's the way I see it. But they're across the street from the cemetery. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, it's a good advertisement to eat vegetarian, you know. <laughs> you well, now, so the, um, of course, the, the options. I mean, we went through a phase, if you remember, that drove me crazy. That's when I was still a restaurant critic for our city magazine. Um, and the only vegetarian restaurant around uh, it made what do you call that? Where they make the, the vegetarian food look like meat and things like that. <laughs> oh, the mock meat. meats, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. I mean, my my cousin's daughter is um, vegan, and I did Thanksgiving once, and she insisted on having a, a, her her portion look like turkey slice. And there, there, I went shopping, and I found all all this fake food. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's yeah, sure. Yeah, well, they call them the mock meats, yeah, or the, the plant-based yeah, meats these days. I think they have their place. I, and, you know, I eat them occasionally at home. I enjoy them because I grew up on the stuff. To me, you know, heaven was like a turkey club sandwich or a really good cheeseburger um, chicken sandwich with, like, you know, uh, ranch sauce on it or something. I, I grew up on the stuff. I love those foods. So, you know, I'm, I could put a carrot on a bun and try to pretend, or I can eat this stuff that recalls what I ate. I mean, it's still food. And, you know, the, people bring up the big argument about process these days. Well, it, it's a processed product. Well, if you think about the process meat takes to get to your plate, that's not such a pretty thing either. So, you know, it's a tough call. Um, I think they have their place. They, I think they demonstrate to people that it's really not the meat that you're eating that tastes so good. It's this kind of flavor that's this mouthfeel, and it could be recreated without slaughter, and I think that's a really important point to make to public. Now, what you do with it after that is completely up to you, but I think the point needs to be made 
that um, when you eat meat, you're not the, the, that whole kind of idea that it's the meat that tastes so good is not really true. It's it's what chefs do to it that kind of make it taste so good. Yeah, well, this really good friend of ours who just died. He was a big architect in Art Colony from Saint Ives in, in the UK. Uh, he was um, he was vegan because he lived for a while across from an abattoir. So that's his reason for becoming vegetarian. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. What was your reason? Well, I just, I learned the truth about what was coming onto my plate. You know, I, uh, you know, I love vegetables, had a little vegetable garden at home. And I thought it's a very beautiful process to go out to my garden and pick a tomato or pick a cucumber and eat it. It was like this giving thing. And um, what a beautiful process. And I made my own tomato sauce when I was very young. I, I was always into that. You know, when my mom made steak for dinner for the family, she wouldn't eat it. And I asked her why, and she said, I, I just can't. But she never really told me why. I also noticed my dad, when he would eat chicken, couldn't eat it off the bone. And, again, so I started asking these questions, well, why? So as I, I said to them, well, wait wait a second, where does this meat come from? And when they told me, you know, this is way before you saw the YouTube videos or the undercover slaughterhouse you know, videos and all that. I was appalled by it. I'm like, you, you guys have been giving me this stuff? You, it's a dead animal. <laughs> you, you give a kid a dead animal and don't tell him what it is? I mean, I was appalled by it. So the, I already loved the taste of meat. I wasn't one of those people that said, well, get this stuff away from me at any cost. I, I had to find a way to get those flavors, you know, um, and continue to enjoy them while not hurting the animals. And, you know, the contrast between the beautiful process of picking your produce and bringing it in versus the process of getting meat onto your plate were as different as night and day. I couldn't believe that meat and vegetables were on the same plate with each other, considering the process both of them had to take. Um, I also realized that, you know, almost anyone can go to a garden and pick their vegetables, but very, very few of us can go out to a a field and kill a cow and rip it apart and and cook its meat. Some people can, you know, but, you know, most of us can. But um, now, uh, so so your your uh, stance is more um, philosophical, ethical, and ethical. Yeah, thing. for sure. Okay. Yeah, ethical. And now, um, let's see. I have two things to ask. First of all, do you think that the the rise in interest in vegetable forward and vegan and vegetarian menus today is linked to this new um, concern about health. Oh, absolutely, 100%. Okay. I, I used to say there's three reasons you should eat more plant-based diet. Either, you know, lean there, dabble in it, go all plant-based. I mean, I don't know. I don't tell people what to do with their own health and their own diet. But there's three reasons. Number one is the animals. Um, some people just don't care. Some people hunt. Some people could care less that oh, the yeah. animal, you know, it doesn't matter. They're going to keep eating it. Well, number two is the environment. And um, that started to catch on in the 90s when Al Gore was uh, kind of making a lot of noise about, you know, what yeah. was happening to the environment. And cows are a major reason that the uh, we have these greenhouse gases. That changed a lot of people, but not all of them. There's other people that don't care about the environment. Well, they say, when I'm gone, I don't care. <laughs> it's fine. I'd, again, I'm not going to tell you what to think or do with your life. But the number three reason is the one that I attribute everything that's happening these days, and that is personal health. A lot of us are watching our parents get older and deteriorate, and we're scared. Uh, pharmaceuticals, medicine, you know, you, you know, let's take Lipitor, for example. You know, if you have high cholesterol, well, there's only one way to get cholesterol. That's through animal products. You have a choice. Mm-hmm. You cut out some animal products or you go on Lipitor. And I think a lot of people are seeing this. You, you can manage your health through what you eat. And one of the yeah. best ways to do that, again, I'm not a doctor, but through a plant-based diet. They're seeing the proof out there. They're seeing that they don't have to sacrifice anything. Now, 20 years ago, you sacrificed a lot. You, you were eating salad. You were eating nut loaf. You were eating whatever peanut it may butter. be. Yeah, <laughs> peanut butter, <laughs> spaghetti if you went vegetarian. These days, yeah. I mean, you can eat a bacon cheeseburger. You can eat anything. So you're not giving up flavor. You're getting all the health benefits, and I think that has absolutely changed the world right now, and it's continuing to uh, drive this. I mean, you have corporations that can, you know, have they can do anything they want with their money, and they're all investing in plant-based, uh, all of them all over the world. So many things are happening. So 
Well, they're huge. also investing in, in, in producing the, the the fake stuff too. I mean, that's this that I really oh, yeah. object to. Uh, oh yeah, you do object to. Yeah, there's burger. a we, yeah we, a lot of hardcore people against that. Have you had that? Oh sure, sure. I've I've tried them both. Yeah, they're they're fun. They're fun. You know, they're party tricks. They're <laughs> it's like it's look, here's a bacon tricks, cheeseburger. A you know, <laughs> I, I am not. A, I don't object to them because I think they are. They take people to the greater good. I think if you are uh, if you're you're a real foodie and you're really into um, the true culinary arts, yeah, I can see how this would definitely turn some people off. But I I think they serve a greater good. So. Um, you know, I, See, I, I objected. I had a friend who was in um, Alcoholics Anonymous and with her husband and daughter, and they used to buy this fake beer. And I thought that was really not unethical, but I think it was a bad idea because they didn't interrupt the process. You know, mm, it came looking like beer. You know, it came tasting like beer, except it didn't have the alcohol in it. That's a that's a very interesting point. Yeah, I hear you. And I really I never objected it to that. Like beer, to tell you the truth. And the stuff that Beezy and and uh, Annie drank. Well, the, I, well, anyhow, I never, I never I'm found, not a beer drinker, anyhow. I, so. I never found any fake beer that was that was that anything like the taste of beer. Hmm. Of course, you. Yeah, you, they, I mean, I think they can beer. exist as beverages. Um, they can exist as some kind of beverage, but to call them. Uh, beer is definitely a stretch for some of them. You know, I think you can't you can't look at them as beer. You got to look at them as alternative beverages, and then they then they can exist on their own. Well, here's the other thing I wanted to ask you, so that our listeners really get a, a, a good idea of what you're talking about, because people who are used to not having beautifully prepared vegetables really don't have a clue what they taste like or what to expect. Could you just pick some um, of your menu, your uh, dinner menu items, and describe what they are, you know, in, in food-loving terms? Sure. Well, you know, I'll, I'll pick the ones that I think represent um, a, a way to change people's minds about a vegetable that they they had this stigma about before. So when we got, when we wanted to open up a vegetable restaurant, you know, veg was strictly a vegetable restaurant. It wasn't about tofu. It wasn't about fake meat. We wanted to be vegetable for it. I said, we're going to find every vegetable that we've ever known, the ones we hate especially, and we're going to find a way to make them delicious. So my number one, or my hit list was uh, eggplant, Brussels sprouts, and sweet potatoes. Oh, that's um, wonderful. Yeah, well, I hated them before. I mean, when I grew up, I had Brussels sprouts out of a can. <laughs> oh, yeah. were, I mean, that, that's enough to... Oh, they're just terrible. I mean, of all vegetables to put in a can. So, you know, we found, we found this way to make Brussels sprouts delicious. We started, you know, this is going back a decade. Um, we start shaving them very thin, like on a mandolin. You can do it in a food processor, too. Right. And then you put them on a hot plancha, you know, a griddle, or you can do them in a fry pan, if you want. And you, you sear them up, and you toss them around, so they get kind of charred. And once they start to wilt and just change that little bit shade of green, you pull them off. Uh, salt, pepper, um, and then we used to put this kind of mustard sauce on them, the smoked mustard, and they're absolutely delicious. It eats like this warm coleslaw, and it changed so many people's minds about Brussels sprouts. And now, now I see them everywhere. Like everyone's got Brussels sprouts on their menu. It's like, but everyone's frying them, which I think is just cheating. <laughs> you know, you can fry <laughs> anything and make it taste good. Chris, yeah, um, the rest of them, especially but, uh, their egg, air fryers. Egg, <laughs> oh yeah! Oh my goodness! Yeah, don't get me started on that. Um, but I know. eggplant was another I, one. I have one that's not used. It was sent to me. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> yeah. Um, Go well, ahead. So, Go yeah, ahead. eggplant. Yeah, eggplant was um, another big. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, eggplant is something that you know vegetarians did eat for years. It was like their centerpiece meal. I had a vegetarian yeah, teacher. Parmesan, yeah. Exactly, parmesan. but. You know, you you can make anything Parmesan and it could taste good. You know, you're you're frying something and covering it with sauce and cheese. I mean, come on, you you can put yeah. anything in there. You know, you don't even need eggplant in that dish. So, and I love the dish. So I basically I said, well, let's let's talk, let's look at the eggplant. Well, the first thing I realized was that you need really really fresh eggplant. People who use old eggplant that's got you know bruises on it and the, the flesh. Oh, it's terrible. It's inedible. It's yeah, absolutely inedible. So. 
you need a really good eggplant, and what we do is we slice it really, really thin on the mandolin, and you just roast it with some neutral oil, salt and pepper, for about five minutes until these sheets become pliable and translucent. And then we wrap them around a filling uh, made from smoked eggplant, uh, and we add some rice in there for body. And we have this beautiful eggplant uh, brajol that we surround with this Italian salsa verde and put a little um, olive puree on top and some, and some fried peppers. And it's just delicious. It, it eats, it's so meaty tasting. And yet here we take an eggplant, and we haven't worked it to death where it's like unrecognizable, but we've made it so that people can fall in love with a vegetable that they never thought they'd like. And, and that's really important to me to keep finding ways to express those um, those vegetable dishes to to keep people keep their palates entertained, keep them interested in it. Well, you're, you're leaning heavily on umami, basically. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. That's our secret weapon. I mean, tamari, a little bit of miso, seaweed, nutritional yeast. All these items are so important. Just to use a little bit of, keep them in the background. Uh, the smoking, of course, is huge. And uh, you know, once you um, one, once that first bite hits your palate that's that's our only shot to impress you uh we're not going to do it with a salad we're not going to do it with a bowl of salted nuts i mean we we have to we have to make you say wow on that first bite or we've lost you so we make sure all of our food has that you know kind of punch the second you get that first impression sounds wonderful um the the uh, how long does it take for uh, veg to, to really get a following well, veg was a, a really unique um, situation. I mean, it was a darling right away, but we had put 15 years in before that. A lot of people don't realize this. You know, from 94 to 2011, you know, we, uh, I, was, I started on my own in 94, and I met Kate, my wife, in uh, 2001. And, and she had no were, background whatsoever in this, and now she's a, a psalm and, and, and all kinds of stuff, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, neither of us did. Yeah, we learned it all in the way. Well, see, what, what we wanted to learn, what we wanted to do did not exist. There's no school for it. This whole style of cuisine that we do did not exist anywhere. I mean, I couldn't find it anywhere. So we literally had to invent this as we went. And, um, it's and we where did it, you know. everybody's aiming for right now. And that's what, sure. what the Daniel Hume is going to be after, right? Yeah, well, absolutely. Now, he's going to take this whole – I'm really – all eyes are going to be on him to see what he does. I, I think that was the boldest, most courageous thing a chef could have done. He's sending a powerful message to the restaurant community that these are – this is something we need to look at. You know, not every restaurant in the world needs to go vegan. I'm not going to sit, you know, up on my perch and start to, you know, preach about anything. But the message he's sending, hey, everyone, rethink this. Just Take a look at this, rethink this, open your mind, and let's see what we can do. And I'm I'm really curious to see how this all pans out for him. You, you know, do you think it's, it's sincere? It's not just a ploy to stand out from a whole bunch of really excellent restaurants. That's a great question. I don't know because I don't know what it what's in his head. Um, I do know that. Uh, I mean, I'm just disgusted by social media these days. You know, someone sent me the link to this thing, and I started scrolling down at some of the comments, and I, I just got sick to my stomach. The, the oh, way I people behave on social it. media is absolutely nauseating. And um, I, so I, I didn't even, like, get into, like, all the back and forth of who thinks he's a hero and who thinks he's, you know, setting up for all this. My own opinion is let's see what happens. I mean, regardless of his intent, he's doing it. And um, it's, I mean, what, what a fascinating, courageous, bold move to make, regardless of whether or not it works. Of course, you know, he's European, which, I mean, look at the, the great vegetarian or vegetable-forward uh, chefs in France. Absolutely, yeah. With, yeah. Sure, we've eaten at Arpege. We've, we've had some yeah. amazing tasting menus uh, in and around uh, England, uh, you know, and and it's a, it's a little bit different style of cooking, uh, very ingredient-driven, especially in England, uh, very, very seasonal, very garden-driven. We think we are in the U.S., but yeah, I still see asparagus on menus in January here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's kind of – we're a little bit behind. Um, but I, I applaud any move towards this, you know, because when I first started doing this, you couldn't find this food anywhere, and now I can basically travel – and walk into almost any restaurant or any great hotel, and they're going to have food. That's not just a gesture towards 
the way I eat, but an actual sincere um, expression of, of, of what the kitchen's doing to put it on the plate. Because I don't, I don't want something special. I don't want an apology, and I don't want a little gesture. I want to taste what the kitchen does that they do for any other guest, but I just don't want the meat on the plate. And they're doing that everywhere. It's an amazing well, that's time. That's why I'm talking to you because you represent exactly what I think needs to happen with the the current uh, attitude towards what you put in your mouth. Oh, absolutely, sure. So, well, you're cool there. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyhow, uh, anything we else we should know about how to keep this going, or just um, we'll see it all unfold and be happy about it well yeah i think it's we it's going uh, i mean i get all these uh we have a lot of um people that come in or they're on the inside and they know where the investments are happening and i think uh i hear a lot of chatter out there um you know we we get opportunities on our desk every day invest in this consult on that you know and i'm just tired at this point i the pandemic's taught me one thing and that's like do what you love. Don't try to take over the world. Don't try to be all things to all people. And when people tell you we need a veg here and we need a veg there and do this, do that, write another cookbook, no, do do what you want and do it well. Don't do what other people need you to do and stop chasing this American dream of bigger, better. Everything has to be so large. Um, I, I, I'm very happy with the two restaurants we have. I love being in my kitchen again. Um, I love being at the helm. I love creating these dishes. I, I just love everything about it. So we don't t- take any opportunities anymore. I'm happy to listen to anybody, but um, I just well, want to. Thank you I just for wanna, talking to us. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Hey, I'll talk to anyone. I just don't want to be. I don't want my picture on someone's website. I don't want to consult. Do I don't. I don't want to do any finally, of that thing. Do you think we finally can get rid of all these uh, these listicles, like the top fifty um, restaurants in the world? <laughs> I would love to, because you know that's one of the things that poisoned our industry. It poisoned the minds of all of our chefs, and I'm very guilty it. of it too. Oh, I chased the headlines. We all did. You know, we, we know. say we're only you in it were to cook. James Beard nominee, how many times? Six years in a row, a James yeah, Beard well, nominee, a finalist. Beard had a good story um, about the. What's his name? Sweetheart? Floyd Gun Floyd Gunnows. Who was it? It was Floyd. Floyd Gunnows. Oh, Floyd Cardoz was. He was up. Was it six? He was actually. He was actually five. Five. He, he had but five I, nominations. But I asked. I asked him. What, what will you do if you are a finalist again this year? And you don't win again. He said, "I'm going to take them all down." <laughs> nice. Well, I'll tell you, I, I don't think there'll be James Beard Awards next year because this year you can't. Wondering. 2021, you can't judge restaurants on this year because now we're coming out of the pandemic and facing a massive labor shortage. No restaurant is running as it should be right now or as it wants to be. So uh, the critics need to give us a break. Uh, James Beard needs to take a break because you know what? It's all distraction at the end of the day. I chased you know, it. We we got you know, we got four out of four bells, and I was so ecstatic about it. And but you, then you got to say, then what? Well, then you just keep cooking, and that has to be okay. And I'm great with that now. I wasn't before, yeah, but now well, I'm great I, with it. Honestly, I was getting to be ridiculous. I mean, um, I was one of those jurors, and um, I mean, they knew who won uh, in 2020. You know, and they sure. didn't they, they didn't match up with their. Brief. Don't even get me started on that. Not to mention fifty best. Yes. There's one. There's one thing we don't. There's one thing we don't have as a result of this conversation. What? We don't. We don't have an invitation. Oh. (laughs) An invitation. You need an invitation. (laughs) Oh, I thought that was implied. We haven't. We haven't. We haven't been to Philadelphia for more than a year, even though our grandchildren are there only because of the pandemic. But pretty, but pretty soon we're going to be free to move again. Well, we'd absolutely love to have you here, and uh, we're headed out to Pittsburgh sometime in July to see our friends out there. So uh, we'll get to yeah, check out some of the places you have out there. So, and, and we haven't done a lot of traveling either. And I got to tell you, don't miss it. I don't miss it. I've been so happy at home, you know, hanging out with uh, Kate and our son and our our friends, and just doing five days at the restaurant. He's thirteen now. And oh, boy, uh, that's, we're, a, that's a challenging age. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, for, you know, it's every, my mom always said, you know, little kids have little problems, big kids have big problems. So he's, he's a medium <laughs> kid right now. So he's got medium issues, but um, no, we're just, you know, we're so lucky to have everything that we have. We're very content. We feel very fulfilled. And right now we just want to run a restaurant and um, I've never I felt so you. good about anything you. in my life. Okay. Well, listeners, you all need to test out really, really quality food at the, the uh, veg in Philadelphia or the fancy radish, radish if you're in, in D.C. Uh, Richard Landau, um, tell Kate Jacoby that we missed talking to her, but we love talking to you, and let's keep in touch. And let's Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure talking to you guys. And you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Sure. Be well. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Next up, we have another husband and wife duo, uh, the Snows. Gary and Susan. Who yeah. knows the snows? Who knows? Oh, good. Oh, you're a funny one. Yeah, but their company is. Don't you, don't you feel healthy already, by the way? Oh, yeah. I, I feel so much healthier. I, I do thanks, too. To, thanks to Richard. I, I feel. Yeah, I, I, I really have to get a hold more of this table tree juice, the dark cherry juice. Oh, no. I felt I did wonderful after. Some of that I, I was referring to veg. Yeah, and, I did. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, his food is really profound. I can't wait till we get to go there when we visit our kids in Philadelphia. But, but here's the deal: who who knew there were a million cherry trees in Wyoming? Is it my no Montana? Montana. Who, yeah. Who knew? So, so I must say we always learn something. So, we're, so we're going to hear the story of a couple and how they got into the Gary and Susan Snow of Table Three Juice. Here we go. Well, we're going to have fun, um, listeners. We're going to be talking to Gary and Susan Snow of, of Table Tree Juice, and they're in in very far. Uh, northern, northwestern Montana. So this would be fun. <laughs> Welcome to On the Menu. Um, I I didn't know, just to start with, um, that cherries were a Montana thing. Yeah, they really are. It, it surprises everybody. But we're on a very large lake here, Flathead Lake in northwest Montana, and it's like a just a big heat sink, so it moderates the temperature around here. It'll be a little little warmer generally than most other places. Of course, winter in Montana, <clears throat> winter in Montana, so it can get pretty brutal. But the the climate is good for cherries. They've been growing them here for at least a hundred years, from what we understand. But well, you know, your product pretty, is. Um, Black cherry juice, which is a, a really dense, terrific uh, kind of cherry, and you won uh, a Sophie Award for the best pure juice product in a very broad field of entry. So, congratulations! Well, thank you very much. Yeah, the black cherries—it's—it's it's not the tart cherries like a lot of people think of when they think of cherry juice, but they are the sweet, dark cherries. And yeah, well, we we love cherries. We never um, got last year was a terrible season. We never got any. I usually pit them and then um, freeze them. They freeze very well, and we have them all all winter long. Yeah, and they are an amazing anti-inflammatory too. So if you just eat a few cherries every day, you can sure help keep arthritis or gout or right. anything that hurts or swells can be helped with the cherries and the tart cherries and black cherries both have the same medicinal benefits. Now, I was reading the label, and there's a very intriguing ingredient 
which doesn't sound like cherries and doesn't sound like it comes from Montana. The last we heard of it, it came from Zanzibar in Africa. So where does that stuff come in? We order it. It comes from Ceylon. Ceylon, okay. I believe is where this comes from. Yeah, and we, when we first started doing the juice, we didn't want to have to use artificial preservatives or chemical preservatives in honey. There's honey in the juice as well, as you saw on the label. And they're not, either one of them are, are for um, sweetening or flavoring. They're both natural preservatives. Honey's an antibacterial. Yeah, And cinnamon's an antimicrobial. Especially that one out of Australia or New Zealand. What's it called? Yeah, Manuka honey. Manuka, yeah. Um, you know, people, I think cinnamon is one of the most understood uh, or poorly understood spices out there because people find cinnamon in in all kinds of sweets and so they think of it as sweet when in fact yeah. it's it's sharp and oh, very I, yeah and, and and a middle eastern uh, friend of mine uh gave me a secret of adding it to a vinaigrette salad dressings to sharpen the flavor and it worked very well oh i bet it would i bet yeah, it would yeah it's a really versatile yeah. really versatile thing and nobody knows how to spell it either that's <laughs> That's the other thing. And then there are all the imitation things on the market, which is another yeah. problem. Uh, now tell us, let's back up a minute and tell us, what is Table Juice, the company? What Give us its history or how did it come well, about? We were, Sue was born into the fruit business. She was actually, when we started farming in 96, she was fourth generation in her family to be a fruit grower in Creston, British Columbia. And we went, we, I'm a city kid from Kansas City. I had no agriculture in my background. And uh, We lived in Kansas never... City. We lived in Leewood, Kansas. You did? <laughs> yeah. We, did, we didn't have any agriculture in our background I, either. <laughs> I said I was never going to marry a beekeeper or a fruit grower. Uh, my my, fam- my dad was a beekeeper and a fruit grower, and we were always so busy on the farm with bees or uh-huh. or fruit. And then I I married a, a city boy and turned him into like both of those. <laughs> yeah, no, you weren't you weren't that thrilled about doing it, but it sounded like a good idea to me. <laughs> well, we, how did you start this? From... I mean, so you met and, and got married, and then what made you think of this? growing um, the fruit and making juice and started well, it, a company. The juice didn't come up right away in it, but in 1995, the music business had kind of slowed down a little bit, and I'd gone up That's and helped right. the family. Our listeners will not have heard that. Oh, right. You are professionally a, a bass player, a musician. Yeah, and I did it my whole life, really. I was on the road touring and recording my whole my whole adult life. Mm-hmm. And then soon I got married, and we, and the music is what brought us to Montana. I played here and fell in love with it and wanted to live here. Finally got a chance to work with a really good band from this area of northwest Montana that we toured all over the place and had some records out. And so we were living here, and then the, that was kind of slowing down. And I went up and helped their family with their first big cherry harvest because they, they'd grown cherries in the past, but apples were the big crop in that valley. Mm-hmm. And then at the apple market crashed, so all the growers, well, her folks started it, started yanking out all their really? apple trees and their other fruit and planting cherries because that was the next best thing in the early 90s for the fruit growers. And I went up in 95 and helped them during harvest and just kind of thought, oh, man, that's really neat because I'd never done anything like that before. And I... I reluctantly drug her back across the border up to Canada. I didn't want to go. She didn't want to go, but I I tied her up and threw her in the back of the truck, and we drove up there. And we spent 20 years there growing cherries. Oh, did you? Yeah, we were there from 96. We came back down to Montana in 2015. Uh, We've been coming back and forth a lot because my music work was still from Mm -hmm. down here in the States because I kept doing the music stuff while I was farming. And well, I didn't know there was a big music scene in Montana either, but you're near near Missoula, you said? 
We're we're about an hour north of Missoula, and about a so half that's an hour a college town. Well. Yeah, it's University of Montana is there, and it's yeah. There's quite a. I mean, there's a music business. There's a music scene pretty much everywhere. Thank goodness, or I wouldn't have gotten to see as much of the country as I did. Yeah, well, there was one in Indianapolis when I lived there, which was hard to believe. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it, I mean, the music thing's everywhere. It's cherries that you got to hunt for. As a rule. But, uh, but, but we, you, uh, have or- you have orchards, right? We did. We don't anymore. Oh, you don't? We like okay. to say we're recovering cherry growers now. <laughs> we, we're, we've been deprogrammed, and we came down here, went into the Cherry Grower Protection Program, and came down here. To... We actually we won um, the world's best juice award up in Canada when we started making it, and the cherry growers down here heard about us and asked us to move our business down because we really wanted to come back. It was we loved. I loved Montana. <laughs> yeah, I did too. We did. We spent 20 years in Canada growing cherries, and 19 of those 20, we spent trying to figure out how we could come back <laughs> down here. And when we won that juice award, that best juice award, that was actually in Barcelona, Spain, it was for the. Mm, it's one of my favorite award. cities. Oh, it, yeah, it's, it's fabulous. And we, um, but we were living in Canada at the time, and we got the we got an invitation from the local growers here on the lake. It's about a the Flathead Lake Cherry Growers Association. It's about an 80-grower co-op here, and we have leased space in their building where they bring the harvest and they cool it, and then it's trucked over to Washington State to be packed and sold. Oh, really? It's, it's interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask if, you, if there was a cooperative involved. Yes. It happens with fruit. The, big, the biggest thing with cooperatives in Pennsylvania is uh, juice from grapes, but but not fermented. And Welsh's right. Welsh's grape jelly is their big product. It's yeah. interesting you would mention yeah. Welch's because we have a I have a family history of sorts with Welch's. My great grandfather was a, quite a, a large scale grape grower in the Finger Lakes country of New York back sure. in the. 1870s, 80s, and 90s. He passed away in 1898. Wow. But he and Welch were, and he had a grape juice company too, the Snow Grape Juice Company, and he exported to England and sold all over the the U.S. And he and Welch were, I'm sure they must have known each other, Dr. Welch and my great-grandfather, and they were rivals through Mm -hmm. the time. And there's a, a bit of a, dispute between the two families there was over who developed the the uh, pasteurization pro- process where the juice wouldn't ferment and oh. my great-grandfather died first and Welch's wound up taking over his company oh, they bought, bought it out in 1902 and we actually met a senior vice president from Welch's at the the juice um, competition at the uh, awards and Gary talked to him about um, the Snow Grape Juice Company, and this fellow had just started, I think, with Welch's, yeah. and mentioned that he had been in the archives, of which they had quite a um, extensive archives, and he remembered reading reading, yeah. reading about the Snow Grape Juice Company. Interesting. What a, what yeah. fascinating history you guys have. It was kind of meant to be, and we didn't know. We didn't know about it. Yeah, yeah we didn't know about my great grandfather having the juice company. I knew he was a grape grower, and it skipped two generations of my family because my grandfather, who I never actually met before he passed away, he wasn't involved in it. My dad certainly wasn't involved in it. And then we found that after we had been in the juice business for a little while, not all that long, but we were doing some family some genealogical research and came across this no grape juice company and it's like who knew oh, it great huh of, seems like it was meant, meant to be, be. Yeah. Now, so now we here's a, here's, started the company a, while we were cherry growing to as a way to value add our secondary fruit because we knew with the amount of cherries we grew we grew about five or six hundred thousand pounds a year Jeez. And we knew every year going into it that we were going to be throwing away from anywhere from 100 to 120 pounds in a good year. 20,000 pounds. Yeah, 120,000 yeah. too. Um, 
up to maybe in a really bad year, maybe we, we were throwing away 150000 or more than that. Oh, awful. So, and that fruit costs you the same to grow is the stuff that went on the airplane and flew to Europe or Asia because all our fruit went export. And 90, 95% of that fruit is totally usable. usable. Yeah. But it still gets thrown out for cosmetic reasons and all. So, yeah. And we were at every grower, every cherry grower, or every fruit grower loses money on their calls, and we were yeah. trying to come up. Well, with they now have a or, produce company called uh, Ugly Fruit, is it? Or Ugly? Yeah. Produce. Yeah, and imperfect fruit too. So imperfect fruit. That was what I was trying to think of. But yeah. there is an ugly fruit as well. Right, but the one that's, that's been blossoming in the, during the pandemic is the yeah. subscription yeah, service, fruit. the imperfect fruit. Yeah. Oh. I don't know if uh, I don't know if that if that really works. I know even me being a fruit grower's daughter, I even go into the um, supermarket and pick through and get the good I'm, stuff. I know human yeah. nature. <laughs> you're always no matter how committed you are to the cause, you're always looking for the yeah. best the best stuff you can find. But we like I say we started out to try to value add our fruit, and then we also wanted to help. The other growers, too, because one year we lost 12 growers in the little town we ran up there in Crescent because they just couldn't afford to stay in it. Oh, and, no. and kind of our, the unofficial motto of our, of our company is it ain't just about us because it oh. really isn't. And if we can help, you know, we're in it for ourselves. Yeah, we got to make a living and, and stay viable. But if we can do something to help other growers because it's, it's – not a big fraternity, and it's not getting any bigger, the grower fraternity. And we, if we can help by giving something back to the growers, and that will come more and more as we ex- expand and get bigger, we'll be able to, to help everybody, ourselves and the other growers more too. But it, it really is a cause for us. It's something we really want to help out as much as we can. Now, did I read correctly? You have kind of a unique production process. We do, and we don't talk about it because it, we developed it, and it's not protected yet, so we're very closed-mouthed about how we okay. do it. But I will say this. We never wash our feet. I'll tell you that. So <laughs> that gives you, if that gives you a clue. It doesn't really. I, I say that to throw people I off. I know. It's just like... <laughs> Um, well, now, um, you have a one-product company, which is... Um, right now, yeah. Yeah, but that's my next question is, is it going to remain a one-product company? No, and actually in Canada, it wasn't a one... We were doing other fruits, too. We did apple commercially. We did we did a beautiful plum juice commercially. But we were even though we were in a cherry valley up there, there was still a good amount of apples and plums and peaches because we we worked with peaches, we worked with grapes, we worked with blueberries. But right here where we're at, it's a cherry valley. And there Mm -hmm. just really isn't much to speak of that we've been able to find in other fruits here locally that we can easily source. We think we might have a line on some plums, and we're going to try to see if we can get back to the plums. That's a... um, I read a book and interviewed um, somebody who researched this um, plum cot. You know, they tried to oh, make right, a yeah. go of that plum cross between an yeah. apricot and a plum. And, boy, I never saw such evil goings-on in my whole entire life. <laughs> <laughs> it's cutthroat, isn't it? it? It is. It is. I mean, every business is. Well, it's not too bad. I, I think, you know, if you... I suppose it can be yeah. a lot more cutthroat than we've found it. But the, the, the cutthroat part is when, when you're exporting fruit, it doesn't matter what kind of fruit you are, or selling it anywhere, you, either you that's or the, the person part. that's yeah. your salesperson is trying the best to get you the best price. And then, but you got to remember on the other end of the of the trip when the fruit makes the trip there's somebody on that end whose job it is to beat you down mm-hmm. and they've kind of got the upper hand because if you've spent money the money to ship something like with us with our canadian cherries we're all export 
So we're flying them over to whatever part of the world. At the time we were growing, they hadn't really perfected the the, the shipments by sea. Now mm-hmm. a lot of fruit goes by ocean. Doesn't and, cost as much. And the hard the hard part for the grower is that that we the grower don't know how much we're going to get for that fruit. Like the price is not really predetermined. It mm-hmm. gets over there and. And like Gary says, they cut the price dependent on the quality. So you could come out of there, you know, with with a, a, a penny for what it cost you a dime to make. So okay. the growers are 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 shafted kind of in in the long run. Yeah, you just don't have anybody there on on your side necessarily to speak on your behalf. Yeah. So you have to take the word of the person, and you know. And they are looking for just tiny little defects that can help help their case. So you so you got to do the best. Customer. You the best. <laughs> well, no, you yeah, lose this one product. Um, why yeah. don't you run through for our listeners some of the uh, the suggested uses that you have found for it? Well, you got an hour. Let's see. <laughs> it, well, I call it the Swiss Army knife of juice because it's good by itself. I like it. I just alone, it. hot or room temperature or cold. I like the juice hot myself. Oh, I've never really tried nice. that. And and it's good with a real wide variety of of non-adult beverages. You know, club soda, Seven Up, ginger ale, Coke for that matter. Um, makes it incredible cherry lemonade. We'd like to. Yeah, that was the uh, Sophie Award. Was the cherry lemonade. No, it was a raspberry. Just, I think it was a raspberry. Yeah, yeah, the raspberry lemonade. infused lemonade yeah. was the one that actually took gold in the sofa. Oh, I see. Yeah, and but it's good in any kind of non-adult beverage. It's a marvelous mixer. We're not really drinkers, so we haven't tried a lot of them, but we sure do sell to bars for their and oh, restaurants, both for the food side and the bar side. And there's a whole... There's a whole long list of drinks that people make with it. It's good mixed with wine. We had friends up in Canada with a restaurant that served it with their house red, and it'd be a fifty-fifty mm-hmm. mix with, with their house mm-hmm. red, and they call it cherries on the vine. Well, we have a, 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 a really large production Asian pear tree in, in oh, our yeah. backyard, and, um, and we gave a whole bunch of pairs to um, this restaurateur to his bartender and they they made a fabulous cocktail by they have a oh, smoker wow, as well they smoked these asian pears and oh. then did all the magic stuff that bartenders do and oh, he had wow. the time of his life making this cocktail and it was I'll so good we, we did a pear juice here a couple of years ago that was, it was amazing. really nice yeah really there again it, it was somebody who had a couple of pear trees so have, it's you fine tried sm- have you tried smoking it? No. No, that, that, I'm, I'm listening, though. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, well, it, it was very good. I mean, I'm not really big into cocktails, um, but this is not sweet. I don't like sweet stuff very much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, and okay, now, in addition to all these uses, and, and you didn't mention you could make sauce for your cookies. Uh, oh, anywhere cooking. in the meal. Anywhere in the meal from salad to dessert. And then and then the health benefit, the anti inflammatory. That was my next question. I was yeah, surprised yeah. at all the health benefits. Uh, tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, and there's there's actual scientific studies um done on on the the cherries. University of Washington had just came out not a couple of years ago with a really good study on, on, the, sweet on the sweet cherry. Uh-huh. Dark cherries got in the health game before sweet cherries did. And as I tell people, tart cherries had a better press agent because they did. They they were smart about it. They got into the health game way before sweet cherries because sweet cherries, people bought them and ate them by the handful. Well, tart cherries, you don't do that. You got you make something with tart cherries. And bacon. a lot of the tart cherry juice, too, will have uh, either uh, like another so- sugar source or um, another mm-hmm. juice to, to, to make it sweet because... I know that all the yeah. bakers used to show up at the farmer's market asking for these to, for the sour cherries, and, yeah. and now yeah. it costs twice what the sweet cherries cost. Yeah, yeah They're really, really 
hard to grow, especially pick, because they mm-hmm. they bruise so easily. Hmm. Well, um, how about, I guess, the next question is um, where to buy this? How do you acquire table tree dark cherry juice? We're, we're in about 12 states, 12 to 14 states. I'm not... I wish I could be more exact on that, but we have some distributors that don't always keep us up on exactly where they've got the juice placed. But a, a no-fail way of being able to get it is from our website. People can order by the case of the small bottles. We do two size bottles. One's a 25.4 or a fifth. And now they can they go through it. the Specialty Food Association as yeah. well. They, um, you can buy it off of there. Oh, can you do right. I didn't know that. They've got yeah. this thing called the Infinite Aisle. Yeah. That's oh, a right. Okay. Program. But and, and then, I'm sorry, excuse me, um, then there's also a, an online site called FAIR, F-A-I-R-E, for um, uh, retailers. Retailers. Can order it okay. through there. And, but ordering directly from us, we, we do mail out the small bottles, the size I sent to you, and people can buy them in a three-pack or multiples of that or they can buy them by the case and postage is included in okay the, and in the give us your website it's www.tabletreejuice.com and that's t-a-b-l-e-t-r-e-e juice j-u-i-c-e dot com and just i don't look at the website as much as i should but there's a shop now yeah thing but- to click on there Okay. And we are, but we are going to be doing new products, so we won't be a one product company. This year, we're for long. expanding our. When will products. that happen? This year, this season. It should so. be available by the by the fall because the cherries don't start coming in till hopefully late July. So we got more time to get ready for it. But so sometime this fall, we should have the. Well, we're doing a reduction of the juice for cooking with. It's just amazing. Oh, that's a good idea. We're doing canned bottled, but can't call them canned cherries in our juice, and then we're also doing cocktail cherries in a vermouth brandy mix. Really? We're going to be doing a puree. We used to do that. I can't remember what. We had some kind of alcohol, and you packed the cherries in it, and, and, and yeah, and then was it uh, yeah, brandy? Yeah, yeah, brandy cherries. It's a core, it's a core ingredient of a Shirley Temple, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> and, that, and that's a good point to wish to stop our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we really enjoyed uh, getting to meet you and wish you continued yeah. success. And uh, well, the the so product much. is very good. We've no, we we happy happily endorse it. So uh, well, again, listeners, so try it for yourself, and you also have health benefits from it. And thank well, you for having us on. We really yeah. Appreciate well, that. it's good talking to you, Gary and Susan Snow, and uh, good luck, as I said. Come to Montana and see us sometime. Okay, <laughs> right. Well, I guess we could start traveling soon. There you go. Well, you guys have a wonderful day. Well, then we got to talk to some really nice people, uh, some really great ideas. And um, I don't know about you, but I, I feel motivated to get healthy and healthier and healthier. No, no it, it does not get me fired up to go live in Montana and plant cherry trees. I didn't expect let's, that. Let's, let's, let's be fair about that. Uh, but it, it's, it's a really fascinating story. It, re, it reminds us, us on the menu radio, it reminds us that America is still very much an agricultural country, mm-hmm. growing, growing some very fine crops that are sold throughout the United States, but also sold around the world. And uh, you just got introduced to one you didn't even know was available. I'll bet, no, I'll, bet, I'll bet you never even knew that you could buy dark cherry juice, but you can. <laughs> and uh, these people will be happy to ship you some if you can't find it at your local store. And between now and next week, we hope you'll have a wonderful time. And don't forget to get your vaccination.
Joe, Uncle Joe is expecting you to do that. We're going to get to 7.5 million by the 4th of July. We're, we're doing our bit. We hope you're doing yours. And in the meantime, we'll see you same time, same place next week. Until then. Bye-bye.